Well, good evening. I was uh, trying to delay a little because I think Bron is, is getting me a glass of water at some point. But, so we'll just be kind of, not interrupted, but, but she's going to bring me a glass of water, I think. Um, and um, if you're nice to her, she might even bring you a glass of water too. Who knows? But uh, great, great to see you. Ollie asked um, whether, whether he should introduce me. Um, and I thought, no, no, no. As soon as I explain, it's me, Stuart. With a beard. You, you'll all know, right? Although there could be a few of you who, who are new to um, the Vine Baptist since uh, we went on, on long service leave. And it, we're back and well rested and it is really good to be back. It's lovely to be, be back with family. I, I can honestly say, not just kind of warming you up and that sort of thing, but it, it, we missed you. We really did. We would we'd go to different churches from time to time around the country and, and just this little sigh within us. It's not the vine. It's not the vine, you know. So um, we've, we've really been looking forward to come back. Um, uh, I guess we missed different things. I probably um, have missed just people in contact with, with all you guys, um, the staff that we work with. Bron particularly just really missed worship. Um, just being in a, that corporate gathering and, and a part of a large group of people lifting up our voices together, we would play lots of really awesome worship music in the car, but it just wasn't, wasn't the same as this. So here come the waters. Um, I, I said that anyone could have one, um, which is probably bad of me. <laughs> so, um, but it is, it's great to be back here. Uh, for our trip, our long service leave, for those who don't know, we took four months off, went, went all the way around Australia, and it's all there. It's all there, every, every part of it. We, we've checked it all out. Um, and I guess I just wanted to say how privileged we felt to be able to do that. Um, yes, to you as a church for the, for the long service leave, but also the way that you did it. It wasn't just that, all right, you can have, the, you know, you can have your leave. It was we just felt sent and blessed um, I don't know. Some of you may remember our last evening service here, where they kind of made a big cake of Australia and and gave us a little cooler bag full of goodies, um, which lasted us well and truly into Western Australia. I tell you, before we had to start to refill that, um, we we just we just went feeling so blessed. So so thank you so much. I feel like one of the most privileged pastors in Australia, and and it was a great rest, and we are excited to be back and. I'm feeling ready, ready to go. Um, we um, also, I also want to thank you for for setting us apart and just letting us have that time of rest. I want to thank the team for just doing a marvelous job in our absence. Um, all of them had to just work a little bit harder in in different areas to kind of hold the fort, and they did an amazing job. Um, we must have just worn Blair out uh, because um, he and Amy, I mean, actually pray for them. They just had a move on Friday and a, a number of people, I think, that were going to help them out and couldn't help them out. And um, uh, Blair from youth a couple of weeks ago broke some ribs that may or may not have anything to do with Tom McMaster. Um, I'm not saying. <laughs> not, not saying it was Tom's fault. Outright, publicly, vocally, I'm not. Um, but uh, so then, so then Blair, you know Blair, unstoppable. He goes and 
does moves the entire household himself, and I think he's done some serious injuries. So, um, and and then they don't have the gas on for their new house um, until Tuesday or something. So they got this. They and uh, the Grimeses got these little families in a cold house. So anyway, remember them in your in your prayers. But thank you to the team, and then I thank Tom. Uh, was here this morning, uh, Tom and Sue Kimber, just what a blessing. And so thankful that they um, have been able to fill in for us. I, I said this morning, I'll say to you as well, in the nicest way possible, we really didn't give um, the Vine Baptist Church or its campuses a, a second thought, like, like an anxious thought, if you know what I mean. We care about you, we thought about you, but, but, but not, in a, not in a worried sort of a way because... I guess we just felt so blessed that everybody was in good hands. So, so thank you, and good to good to see you out tonight. Um, really looking forward to to sharing um, with you some of the things we've been learning while we've been away. Um, we had a fantastic time. We uh, just just loved seeing this gorgeous country um, of of God's His creativity and diversity. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Met some some lovely people away. This is starting to sound like Russell Coit, isn't it? Met some lovely. <laughs> I promise you, it's not. Uh, but met some lovely people around the country, and and um, look forward, uh, hopefully, in time of um, vicariously you being able to benefit from our our time away as well. Um, yes, we did get a little bit of a sense of you know perhaps um, what God might have in store for us as a as a church and some exciting things ahead. And um, part of that, at least if not in the detail, but the heart of that, I'm really looking forward to um, sharing with you next week. Um, it just felt fitting with the two campuses together and the church meeting and, and yes, evening service as well. I'd love to just share a little bit of what I feel God has laid on my heart for our, our church going going forward. Um, but as you know, whenever you think about you know a destination and you type it into a you know any little maps app that you have, it always immediately says, "Okay, uh, but I know where you want to go, but where are you at the minute? Shall I use your location?" And so you know, yes, no, maybe um, you have to kind of type in, "Well, where are we at at the moment?" And I thought. That's perfect. We'll, we'll talk next week a little bit about where I sense that we might be heading a little bit, and, and this week about well, where are we at at the moment? What is our, what is our location? And, and just to have a little bit of a, a chat about that. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer, and I can drink some of this water. And we'll pray in a moment too. I was just kind of using that interlude to drink. Okay. Heavenly Father, it's good to be together. Thank you so much for the joy of fellowship, being able to come together freely and and sing songs that are focusing our attention on you, drawing it away from from some of the distractions in in this life. Oh, they seem so real and so important at times, but they're not really. It's just good for us to to praise you, to sing of your character and who you are and the ways, the good ways in which you, you interact with humanity. And your word promises that where two or three are gathered in your name, Jesus, that you'll be present amongst us. So for those of us who 
they've come to know you and placed our trust in you and, and can call you Father. May we experience that special sense of your presence tonight. And for those who don't yet know you, would you just dissolve the, the barriers and, and make yourself known to anyone who is truly seeking you tonight? Bless this time of teaching as we open up your word now. By your spirit, through the word, come and bless our time. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I understand you've been in the book of Mark. I know that because I kind of kicked that off before, before we left and I remembered. And um, we're, in, we're in chapters 6 to 8, as I understand, and, and I've caught up a little bit with what, um, um, well, at least from, you know, the Eltham campus, because that's the audio recordings we have online, um, what uh, Tom has been speaking about the last couple of weeks. In chapter 6 to 8, it's this, this little moment in the Gospel of Mark where um, Jesus is starting to operate outside the borders of Galilee. As a, there's a few reasons for that. Some tend to think it was because, you know, there was this momentum building closer to Jerusalem. And um, it was, you know, a lot of attention was focused um, on Jesus there. Huge crowds were starting to gather. Um, Jesus had come to Herod's attention. And so um, perhaps that's the reason in which the Father leads Jesus now to just kind of take, you know, like a pressure cooker to just take some of the pressure out of that because the people forcefully wanted to come and, and make Jesus their king. And it just was, it was not his time. And, uh, and so for, perhaps for that reason, Jesus starts now to operate outside the, the borders of Galilee. And between chapters 6 to 8... Um, there's a number of encounters, sometimes with individuals and sometimes with crowds, where sometimes people are accepting Jesus and they, they kind of start to see that, you know, there is a, you know, some significance um, to who he is and they, they realize, you know, um, he truly is a rather special individual. Um, and some of the Gentiles, people who actually had no Jewish background, were starting to acknowledge that. Then there were people closer to home, even in his hometown, friends, family, and other people who were refusing to acknowledge this special anointing on Jesus and were actually quite baffled as to, to who he was. And, and so there was this opposition as well. So, so we have all of those things going on in, in these, these chapters. In the midst of that as well, You've got the sending out of the 12 disciples, 12 disciples who had gathered around Jesus. Jesus sends them out two by two. And they have this remarkable encounter whereby the things that they have seen Jesus doing, the power of God upon Jesus to perform miracles and heal people and cast out demons and, and so on. They now experience that same power working through them, which is pretty amazing. As they go out, they also are teaching um, the importance of repentance and to coming to faith in God. They are healing people. They're genuinely getting healed. They are casting out demons. All of this is going on, and the 12 disciples are experiencing this. So you can imagine how you know, filled with joy they were when they, they come back to report Jesus and Jesus pulls them away and says, come away with me now to a bit of a quiet place and let's have a, a little bit of a, a rest and, and a debrief and to talk about these things. And, and that's the context in which, of course, something rather remarkable happens. And a couple of weeks ago, Tom shared with you the feeding of the 5,000. Um, 
this huge crowd has gathered around Jesus and it's late and, and all of a sudden they're, they're hungry and the disciples kind of feel like, well, <laughs> we can't foot this bill. You know, it's probably best you send them back into town because this is a fairly remote place and, and um, make sure they all get fed and so forth. And, um, and so Jesus, Jesus asked them, well, can't we provide for them? And, and we'll come back to this in a moment. But, but effectively, 5,000 Plus, people are fed that day on simply five loaves of bread and two fishes. It's, it's quite extraordinary. And then, of course, Jesus can kind of see this, this kind of uh, building of momentum amongst the crowd. And, and, um, and so he knows he has to kind of dismiss the crowd and kind of settle things down a little bit. He sends the disciples ahead of him on the lake and and uh, what was supposed to be a, a quiet time of rest has turned into a ministry opportunity. So Jesus sends them away. You go on the boat, I'll dismiss the crowd. He does that, goes up to the mountain to pray and spends just some, some very, very precious and much needed time with his father. We don't know how this kind of works, but he is somehow able to see the disciples out on the lake. He sees that they are really struggling against, against the wind and the waves and so forth. And he goes out to them. Now, you would imagine they've just had this incredible time with Jesus. It's been fantastic. They've seen Jesus at work. They've just fed 5,000 people. They surely are starting to get to understand who Jesus is. He walks out to them on the lake. Now, that is kind of strange and it's dark. But whereas they should have recognized Jesus, they don't and they think it's a ghost. And Jesus calms them down at that point. And he reassures them. He says, now, don't be afraid. It is, it is I. But then he rebukes them. He says, you should have essentially recognized me. But you are hardened of heart because you did not understand the lesson of the loaves. And that's what I wanted to, to talk to us a little bit um, or talk to you a little bit about tonight, the lesson of the loaves. What I've just relayed to you, you know, there in that, that brief summary and overview of, of the um, chapters 6 and 7 there actually isn't that odd. In fact, it's pretty, a pretty familiar experience for most Christians. All of a sudden, a quite, um, um, you know, unspeakable joy can be very, very quickly overshadowed by sudden disappointment. It's a familiar pattern. You see, in the boat, the disciples should have recognized Jesus, but they didn't. They had this, this faltering courage. And, and it seems that after these mountaintop experiences, it can be common in the Christian life, this you know, experience of unspeakable joy, it's common in the Christian life to suddenly encounter circumstances, external or internal, in which all of a sudden you hit a wall and you hit a you know, tremendous discouragement, sudden disappointment. Um, some of you, um, just to give some examples, for instance, have, have felt at some point a nudge in your, in your inner being that you should get baptized. Um, within um, the, the Christian church and the call to discipleship, uh, Jesus says to us, you know that, that beautiful thing I've done inside of you, that transformation work that has taken place inside? I'd love you now to take that public. 
Don't hide it inside. Take it public. Show everybody, symbolize to everybody that beautiful work that has taken place inside you. You know, as if it is drowned, show them that spiritually speaking, you've drowned. But no, hey, wait, you've now been raised to a, to a whole new life in Jesus Christ. Do this. And that's what baptism is really about, taking it public, the thing that's inside of you, making it publicly known. And you've taken those steps. And some, you know, you know how it goes. We put the big tub up here, or maybe in this church, or maybe in another church. But, but it's kind of a big step, isn't it? Like, that's a huge thing to do that in front of other people. Maybe even, even invite your friends and your family along as well. And then to add to that, maybe stand up here with a microphone and, and, and give a little bit of a, you know, a, a testimony to, to, to the reality of, of Christ, Jesus Christ living inside of you now and the difference that that makes. That's a bold step. And you've done that. Perhaps it's been an evening service here and it's been, it's been amazing, an incredible encounter unspeakable joy. But here's this familiar pattern. Then comes Monday morning. <laughs> or maybe you're lucky and it waits to Tuesday morning, but all of a sudden it's like that joy, you know, from the, the lofty mountaintops, you've suddenly dropped into a, into a valley of despair. You suddenly are, are, are hit with a sudden disappointment this way or that. Maybe it's, maybe it's been one of those moments where, you know, a, a really good friend of yours, maybe a family member, some, maybe somebody you know at work. You've been longing to, to talk to them about the deep things inside of you, to talk to them about the reality of God. You know, Aussie culture, that's not easy to do, is it? Um, we've just had fresh experiences of that going around Australia ourselves, just um, connecting with people and using the opportunities that we had. We know that this is not a, not a common topic for your average, average Australian. Um, we had some hilarious moments uh, in caravan parks amongst, you know, grey nomads. Now, they're retired. So guess what question they don't ask? What do you do for a living? Because they don't care. They're retired. So we make these connections, put our caravan next to somebody else's. And, you know, for two or three days, we're just hitting it off with people and laughing and going, you know, eventually we go out for dinner together. And, and I, I remember on Cable Beach in Broome, this, this distinct moment, um, we're sort of, sort of sitting at sunset. And the, the thing at Cable Beach in Broome is to watch the camels walk along the beach at sunset. And we're there with these people and Stephen... Pam and we're sitting there and you know if if you met them you would you'd love them we we really connected with them and um and and I'm talking to to Pam and Brian is talking to to Steve and all of a sudden in my periphery vision I can tell Steve's mouth has dropped open and he's staring at me and whilst I didn't hear what Bronwyn and he were just talking about a second ago I know exactly this is the moment in which he has asked, what do you do for a living? And Bron has told him, Stuart's a pastor. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, that's exactly what had happened. The, the, the funny thing after that, after they learn that you're a pastor, is how you pick that up. Have, pick everybody up off the ground and say, hey, hey, I'm still normal. And we can still be friends. And, <laughs> you know, these, these times, you know, they can be funny conversations, can't they? But sometimes you just get to know people and you really like them and you'd love to just share the deep things that dwell within and you'd love to share your faith in God with them. And you have those moments, but all of a sudden, 
It changes a friendship. It changes a relationship. Maybe there's a moment of openness, but then the next day or the next week or something seems to come in again and rob, rob your joy. You know, it's a, it's a familiar pattern. It might be taking a step of baptism. It might be witnessing to somebody else. It might be healing. You sense that God has, has touched your life and healed you in a particular way. And you think, I think I'm, I think I'm actually experiencing the power of God at work in me. This, this, things, are, things are improving. And then all of a sudden, there's some discouragement. Some of those, those old ailments are starting to resurface again. And you're starting to question, did God touch my life? Did he heal me at all? Did that happen? And the doubts creep in. It's a familiar pattern. Maybe it's a victory over sin. Maybe there has been that habit in your life that you've been, you've been crying out to God for, for the power of heaven to help you break so that you can, you can be a different kind of a person. And you've suddenly experienced some victory in your life and you start to think, ha, huh, this is cool. This is really cool. I'm finally starting to be the person I've always wanted to be. This is so exciting. And then all of a sudden, bam, you fall into that old pattern of behavior again. And you're kicking yourself and you can't believe it. And you wonder, is the power of God real? It's a familiar pattern. Unspeakable joy suddenly followed by sudden disappointment. And it can happen to us as a church too. It happened to the disciples. This incredible time with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this faltering courage out there on the lake because they did not recognize who Jesus was. It can happen to us corporately, not just as individuals. As a church, I don't know, maybe you're a crazy kind of a church that sort of sets out one year and says, we've got a good idea. What about we, we plant a campus and then we tell our lead pastor to go away and have long service leave and then we pass a really audacious budget. You know, <laughs> we trust God for more money than we've ever trusted him before. <laughs> Ridiculous. And then, and then we increase our commitment to global missions and say we're not doing enough. You know, there's a needy world out there. We've got to do more. I mean, I don't know what church it would do that to you. And, and, and the things are charging along and your lead pastor goes away and everything's just so cool. I mean, what an amazing team we have back here. But you become slowly aware that, oh dear, our, our, our income is not kind of, kind of holding up the expenses. Maybe, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe where, where's the lead pastor? Where, should, could, could we ring him? I know he's on holiday. I mean, you know, and, and you didn't. Thank you, by the way. Um, you know, oh, have we overextended ourselves? You know, uh, were we just thinking too big? And, you know, you can question yourself. It's a familiar pattern. Unspeakable joy all of a sudden dropping down into a, into a valley of, of sudden disappointment. It can happen to us as individuals. It can happen to us as, as a church as well. Uh, just a little note on that, by the way. It, it is, just, just for your peace of mind, it is a common strategy of the evil one when he wants to get at a church to attack the supports. Uh, do you know, just, just as a thought, you could, take away, you could take away the staff of this church, you could, you could zero out all of the finances, and you could, you could repossess all of the buildings, and do you know if you did all of that, take away the staff, the budget, and the buildings, you still would not have touched the church? Because the staff, the budget, and the buildings, they're supports. 
You know, the, the, the budget and the buildings, they're external things. They're like a good pair of boots for a hiker. Staff, I don't know, what's the analogy? You, like, a, like a hat and some gloves and a good coat for a hiker. With those sorts of things, you might go further and you might be a little bit better protected. But essentially, that's not the church. But it does seem to be a scheme of the enemy to, to attack the support structures of a church, to, to attack those things because, because it's a good way to have an impact ultimately on the church. And, and so perhaps not surprising that, that the year has unfolded as it has. But there's good news. There's good news here. And that's basically I wanted to direct our thoughts with that in mind um, to, a, to a little bit of a, um, a passage here that Tom covered very well. Now, if you haven't, haven't heard Tom's sermons on, on the feeding of the 5,000 and, and the encounter with Jesus uh, walking on the water, then, then um, go back, have a listen to the podcast. He has, he has thoroughly covered it and done a, done a spectacular job. But as he was talking to church council, and both, both Marilyn and him shared this with me, talking to church council about some of the ups and the downs and some of the discouragements, he shared with the church council a little line, and I've picked up on it, and I feel it's really, really significant. Tom shared that, that they felt, as they were just discussing as a leadership team, that, that this was a little God-inspired insight. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, just really briefly, a little God-inspired insight that the problem with the disciples was this. They had not learned the lesson of the loaves. And I really picked up on that, and I felt that that's a little bit of a parting gift from Tom, parting in terms of his position. Um, we hope to have Tom and Sue back with us in a couple of weeks, and we just really want to formally say thank you. And they're hoping to hang around. Tom just looked over at me this morning, and he said, I really love this church, you know, and they're planning on hanging around a bit, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. But as a parting gift of Tom in that position, perhaps, of um, just helping to, to give some leadership to our, to our church whilst we're being gone, I felt as a parting gift, those words, the lesson of the loaves, were just an inspired little statement for us to reflect on. I think this is good to help us locate ourselves at the minute. What is your location? <laughs> where is it that you are to where is it that you want to be? And I just want us to reflect on the words, what is the lesson of the loaves? What is that lesson for us? And we're going to look at that right now. I want us to reflect on this, yes, tonight, but I want to sort of give a couple of, couple of brief insights, which actually I want us to be thinking about in coming weeks. All of us, together as a church, I'm hoping to have some really, really good quality time with the staff and the church council thinking about this. What is the lesson of the loaves for us? So let me, let me just touch on that and uh, give, you know, give a few, few thoughts. Essentially, there are some who have, have noticed in the passage when Jesus was breaking the bread and multiplying the bread and the fish, for everybody to eat. It's quite possible that the crowd themselves didn't actually know what was going on or where this was all coming from. From their point of view, the disciples were just handing it out. How this was happening, you know, perhaps as they're sitting down in all of their groups, they, they may not have even seen this on this occasion. Whether they did or didn't is perhaps an area of speculation. But here's the thing. The disciples certainly did. They had a front row as to what was going on here. 
They knew exactly what was going on. They knew that Jesus had sent them away to get these, you know, I've got five loaves and two fish. This is impossible. He multiplies them and everybody gets fed. They saw the miracle take place. There is throughout these chapters a lot of mention of bread. And there is a little bit of an Old Testament illusion here where God provides manna for his people. What was Jesus doing? He was providing bread for his people. In fact, it even it's further than that. It's more than that. Remember out on the lake, Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I. Well, that's many of the English translations, what we call a dynamic equivalent. But, but some of those translations that are particularly sensitive perhaps to Jewish culture, the um, Aramaic Bible in plain English, the Jubilee 2000, the Young's and the Berean Literal Bible, all actually translate as William Lane would agree, that statement, it is I, as I am he. This is one of potentially those references in which Jesus, it's using a little bit of a a self-disclosure formula. It's using a little bit of a formula to refer to to the name of Yahweh, I am who I am. And to to use that, and John picks up on this quite often, to, to give a hint to the disciples of his deity. As Jesus was passing, you know, this miracle as as he's providing for all of the people bread, here's the thing. The miraculous provision of bread revealed to the disciples the true identity of Jesus. But it seems they missed it. The work of God should always result in worship for God. And it didn't. Whenever we see the miraculous hand of God, whenever God does something kind of spectacular in your life or mine or even in our church community, the work of God is supposed to result in worship for God. So that when they were out on the lake, they should have understood the identity of Jesus and it should have resulted in worship. But instead, Jesus has to rebuke them and say, oh, you're so hard of heart. You know, you should have seen this. You saw what I did. It should have resulted in worship. You should know who I am. And really, throughout these chapters, this is the progressive disclosure of the identity of Jesus, who he really is. And it culminates, as we'll, we'll see in a little bit, in, in a particular part of chapter 8 and then Peter's, Peter's confession. But at this moment, they, they missed it. The work of God should always lead to worship of God. And, and I believe within the lesson of the loaves, we get a little bit of a tip of what that worship should look like. So let's have a look at it. Again, the lesson of the loaves. Firstly, so I'm reading from Mark chapter 6, if you want to, want to look on as well. Just, just three verses here and three thoughts. Verse 38, Jesus simply asks the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples at this particular moment? It, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Just just a quick glance across the crowd, however many loaves we have, it's not going to be enough. <laughs> but they're obedient. They go and they do an inventory. And the first thing we notice here is that Jesus asks for an inventory. They come back and, and it's, it's abysmal. I mean, this is pitif- a pitifully small amount of food for a very large crowd, right? The bottom line is it's not enough. And I believe that when we hit that wall, when we come to those places where, you know, unspeakable joy is overshadowed by sudden disappointment, when we come to those places, it's good to do an inventory. 
Just hear the words of Joel. Okay, what do you got? For us as a church to kind of hit a little bit of a wall and for us to do an inventory and, and to come to that place, okay, well, whew, boy, what's going on here? Well, finances are tight and volunteers are tight and, and we're still cramped in this, this you know, kind, of, kind of inadequate building and, and so on and to do an inventory. So we could add it up. So we, we kind of, okay, what's, what's all of our, what are all of our assets? Let's add it up that we own as a church. And then individually, we could go through the database. Okay, who says... You know, who calls the Vine Baptist Church as their home church? And we've got all the num- you know, names there. And, and then each individually, we could, we could go through our finances and we could work out, well, how much money do I, do I possibly have? And we could add all of that up. And then we could look in our week and we could say, well, how much time am I given? You know, of my 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how, what allocation could I possibly give to God? We could add it all up, all of our time, all of our money, everything that we possibly own. We could add it all up. We could compile it into a list. And do you know what? It wouldn't be enough. It's just not enough. Everything that we have is not enough to usher in the kingdom of God. It's just not. That's the point of an inventory, actually. There are the things that we would think of and there are the things that we wouldn't think of. Do you know one thing? I, I don't know if, if you would think of this, but um, there's one thing about this church that I know that probably wouldn't be on any of those lists, but I, I, I found it. Blair gave me, before I left this book, um, I don't think it's to keep. It was presented from someone to somebody else that he met on the ship, and then that person gave it to him. You know, it's been very carefully handed on from one person to the next, and he handed it to me. And um, in appreciation, I baptized it. Actually, the thermos of water fell over in the car and, and drenched the thing. It's all kind of crackly. Don't tell Blair. Um, but it's, it's a book of Puritan prayers. And I just found this one called God's Cause um, in here, if you carefully tear the pages open. And, and let me read. This is, this is a prayer. Um, it's got lots of these and thous and thys in it, so I'll try and translate as we go. But I read this and I thought, oh, this reflects my heart. They thought, no, this reflects the heart of our church. This is one of those things that you'd have to put on the in- inventory, the heart of the Vine Baptist Church. Let me read it to you. Your uh, Sovereign God, your cause, not, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to you with greatest freedom to set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify yourself and I shall rejoice. For to bring honor to your name is my sole desire. I adore you that you are God and long that others should know it, feel it and rejoice in it. Oh, that all people might love and praise you, that you might have all the glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to you for your dear name's sake. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversion of others is as dark as midnight, but you can accomplish great things. The cause is yours, and it is for your glory that people should be saved. Lord, use me as you will. Do with me as you will. But, oh, please, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Let your blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, please bring great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me the ability to grasp the multitude of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for you 
to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is your cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. Please answer my request. I know this church and I know that's the heart of the church. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? So if we do an inventory of everything that we have, please include the heart of the church in that event, inventory. But then know this, it's still not enough. <laughs> and that's the point of an inventory. That's the whole point of Jesus saying, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll gather everything you've got. What have you got? It's not enough. And it's a beautiful realization to come to God and to realize you have everything that I have. You have my whole heart. And still, I know that it's, that it's not enough. And so this is where we need to put it in the hands of Jesus. This is where it needs to be multiplied. This is where he's got to take our little and he's got to make it much. This is that moment. And so the second point I want us to reflect on here is, is in verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. For Jesus to take it, what had to happen? The disciples had to hand it over, didn't they? You know when you haven't got much of something, what's the temptation? <laughs> You've got to hang on to it, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if somebody might ask you, oh, can I have some of that chocolate? And it's, you know, kind of the last row. You're kind of thinking, <laughs> chocolate's that? What, cho what chocolate are you talking about? You know, <laughs> kind of when you've only got a little bit of something, isn't the temptation to hang on to it? Because, oh, I haven't got much. But if we do that, then the, the bread changes color and not a good color and the fish gets smelly and it's not a good smell. When we hang on to stuff because we've only got this little bit, it's no good in our hands. It's got to be given to Jesus. It needs to be surrendered. And I wonder if there isn't a word to us as individuals and a word to us as a church too about taking what we've got. It's not enough, but it's what we've got. Taking what we've got and surrendering it to Jesus. Jesus said, I know you can't do this yourselves. I know, I know. Give me what you got. See what I can do. See if I can do this where perhaps you can't. I think it's a good time for us to, at this particular point, ask, what, what, what are we hanging on to? What are the things that we hold on to and realize the need to let go, the need to surrender them to God? I guess I have often felt that one of the lessons that the Lord is constantly putting before me is whatever God gives to me, to be conscious of that question, Stuart, will you give it back? Will you hang on to this loosely? Whether it be in missions or pastoral work, whether, whether we be talking about material things or whatever it might be, Stuart, whatever I give you or entrust to you, are you willing to give it back to me? I guess you could put it this way, a little motto is to let nothing hold me but Jesus. Now that can be easy when you don't have much and it can be harder when suddenly you do. A little very special little moment for me yesterday came when um, Bron and I have just been sharing about bits and pieces and and um, we had company in the house and she, she just, you know, whispered, hey, come with me. And um, 
went into a part of the house so I'm not, not overly familiar with. It's the laundry. And um, they're in the laundry, which is, by the way, is good storage in there, um, all sorts of things. But, um, but then she, she, when she had my attention, she just said, I just want to tell you something. And looking into my eyes, she said, we've been so blessed with this house. And you've got to understand there's a little bit more to this, and that is just with a new season of life with a couple of grandchildren on the way and, and just a sense that, that God was having us move. He did something a bit miraculous, at least in our, in our eyes. We don't know kind of how it happened. I mean, we technically do, but it still doesn't really make sense. But God moved us from a, from a lovely house, which had served us very, very well for many years here in Eltham, to another house in Kangaroo Ground, which every time we pull into the drive just blows us out of this world. We just feel like, what a gift. Who are we? I don't understand it, God. It's just a lovely place to be. It's not a mansion, but it's a beautiful place to be. And we're filled with gratitude for it. LeBron said to me, she said, I know that we've got grandchildren on the way, but if he calls us to leave Melbourne and if he calls us to give up this place, if he calls us to give up everything, I'm still with the program. And that was just that beautiful moment of knowing that between us, everything's surrendered. Everything's in the right place. Gives me such peace of heart, but also reminds me why I love this beautiful woman. Um, just love her heart. You know, that's what we've got to keep doing. God entrusts us with things, but will we give it back to him? To hold on to nothing but Jesus that place of surrender, whatever it is that God has given you, will you give it back to him? It could be a position. It could be a material thing. It could be a place of your heart. It could be so many different things that God entrusts to us. But will you surrender it to him? Will you, will you give it to him? And in the last little observation from what is the lesson of the loaves? What can we learn and how does it transform our worship is simply this. In verse 42, and, and you're not going to see this probably, but I'll, I'll, let me help you here. They all ate and were satisfied. Wow, the work of God. The third point is what's not mentioned here. It kind of should read, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up the 12 baskets, were amazed and worshipped him for they could see who he really was. But it doesn't. They picked up the 12 baskets of bread and fish, they noted how many people were fed and then they got into a boat and left. What's not there is the point. It should have led to worship. And that doesn't actually happen until the end of this little section where just prior to Peter's confession, Jesus heals a blind man. Physically, he heals his eyes so he could see. Spiritually, it symbolizes that moment in which the disciples are suddenly understanding who this is. And that leads to Peter's confession and then the Mount of Transfiguration. The physical healing of a blind man symbolizes Perhaps a, a new thing going on in the heart of the disciples where spiritually they are now starting to see who Jesus really is and to, so, that, so that he can elicit from them the pure and true worship that he deserves. 
And I wonder too if part of the lesson of the loaves for us is to realise that we need to do an inventory. Okay, well, well, whatever we've got, it's yours, Jesus. We're just pretty sure it's not enough. And then we surrender it all to him. We leave it at his and we, we, take, we take everything that we think defines the Vine Baptist Church. We take all of those supports, the staff and the budget and the buildings. And, but then let's go further, the ministry programs and the way we structure things and, and you name it, whatever it is, we, we take it all, all of our blueprints, all of our plans, and we put it at the feet of Jesus and we say, it's all yours. You know, it looks like a lot, but it's not enough. It's not enough for what you want to do. It's not enough to to usher in the kingdom of God. It's pitifully small, actually, and kind of embarrassing. But it's yours, Jesus. And it's it's totally surrendered. Hands off. Speak into this. Breathe over it. Anoint it. Multiply it. Take it. For we long to see the work of God so that we can can worship you in truth and with pure hearts. Open our eyes, Jesus, and help us to see you for who you really are. There's some of what I think the Lord might want to teach us about the lesson of the loaves. There's much there for us to each take away, isn't there? And uh, I pray and trust that the Lord will continue to lead you as you meditate upon these things. And I, I just promise you as a leadership, we'll be doing just that ourselves. We'll be coming away to a quiet place, meeting with Jesus and asking him to speak to us about the lesson of the loaves. What would you like to teach us so that we can lead and govern well? Well, let's, let's pray. And I'm going to invite the band to, to come up. And as they, as they sing, don't think of it as just, oh, yeah, the closing song, the, the, the bracket of which the service is about to end and we get to have supper. Don't, don't think of it like that. This is a worship song. This is that moment where we put this into practice. This is that moment where you lift your eyes to Jesus. This is that moment where you say, Father, help me to see you for who you really are. Be exalted in, in my understanding so that I may truly worship you. Open my eyes. I don't want to be spiritually blind. Open my eyes, help me to see who you are. Heavenly Father, that's, that's exactly our prayer now as we, as we come to this part of our service. As we lift our voices together and as we worship you, we, we ask, Heavenly Father, that, that you would glorify yourself to us, that we would see you for who you really are. Thank you for your presence. We feel inadequate. Our best praise and our best thanksgiving doesn't even touch your true character. It falls pitifully short of what you deserve. We long to be made whole so that we can worship you wholly. That worship that you deserve, that kind of worship we read about in Revelation where the angelic host can't stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Open up our hearts. Give us understanding. Lead us into that place. Tonight we pray. Help us to understand the lesson of the loaves, Jesus.